Garbage Into Gold, a Sixers podcast, is part of Philadelphia Sports Nation. They are enhancing your Philadelphia sports fan experience. Visit online at phlsportsnation.com and follow on Twitter at phlsportsnation and follow the Sixers branch of Philadelphia Sports Nation at PHL Sixers Nation. Support for this episode of Garbage Into Gold is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. And let me tell you this. You know, years and years ago, I used to use the same electric razor for down there that I did for my beard. And you know that razor burn that you get? You know, inexperienced as I was back then, it was one of those things where I just figured I could go for it and it would be fine. But I got some some nasty cuts, a burn here and there. But uh, I don't have to worry about that anymore because I have Manscaped. That's why Manscaped has redesigned their electric trimmer so you don't have to deal with any of this kind of stuff. The engineering team from Manscaped spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and just released the new and improved Lawn Mower 3.0. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents thanks to Manscaped's advanced skin-safe technology. When I tell you this is premium, I mean premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes so you can take a longer shave. And if you're listening to this podcast and curious about it, that's all right. We got a deal for you. You can get 20% off and free shipping with the code PHL at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code PHL. All right. In just a moment, I'll be joined by my co-host, Jesse Larch, and we will discuss the latest ongoings in Sixers bubble basketball. A lot to talk about from Ben Simmons being out for the season, it looks like, to Joel Embiid, now uncertain after hurting his ankle. Josh Richardson breaking out against the Portland Trailblazers, the strong play of Alec Burks, and a lot more. So without any further delay, let's get into this episode of Garbage Into Gold. Garbage Into Gold. What's going on, everybody? Welcome into another episode of Garbage Into Gold. I'm one of your hosts, Brandon Apter, joined by my co-host, Jesse Larch, who is fresh off a crazy weekend in New Jersey's finest city of Atlantic City. Jesse, welcome back, and how was your time? Um, It was actually my first time in Atlantic City, and me being a native of Delaware County, Pennsylvania... It felt very much like Delaware County, Pennsylvania, just <laughs> in New Jersey. So, um, in, in a way, I was at home. You know, it was, you know, I didn't do any gambling, although I did do some egregious spending, but that's between me and God. <laughs> <laughs> um, <sighs> so, yeah, it was, you know, nice to just have some time off work, just, you know, not have to be anywhere and not have to do anything. 
Yeah, I, I bet. I bet. I feel like I could use a vacation. It's been a while. Even though I went up to my parents for three weeks in July, I guess that's not technically a vacation. But since I had to work, but I miss the beach. Miss being near water. There are rivers here, but it's not the same as the beach. Yeah, there's something about crashing waves that just is like simultaneously intimidating but calming. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. So a lot has happened since we've last recorded, and a lot has happened for the worse, unfortunately, because we can't have nice things around here. The Sixers did go 2-1 and one last week. They were able to notch victories over the Wizards and Orlando in Orlando. I mean, the last time they beat the Orlando Magic in Orlando, I think, was like 2012. It's been quite some time. I don't know if it actually counts, but it's nice to see them get over that hump. We got to see James Ennis and Markel Fultz play against the Sixers. You know, that was it, was, it was nice seeing everybody reminisce about James Ennis and how much they miss him and me reminisce about how much I don't miss Markel Fultz. Um, and, and then obviously we had the loss to Portland on Sunday night, a game that looked like they could have won without Joel Embiid. But uh, they ended up losing thanks to 51 points from Damian Lillard, who was on J.J. Reddick's new podcast that he started. He's no longer with The Ringer, and now he's just doing his own thing. And I listened to that podcast in its entirety, and I feel like you're a Damian Lillard guy. You like Damian Lillard, but... um, I I don't dislike him. Um, He's probably not one of my favorite players, but... I mean, I think he's a, one of the better players in the league for sure. He just makes uh, he just makes scoring look so easy. Like they, I mean, he starts he starts they start screening for him at like the bottom of the half court logo. I mean the the shots that he takes from beyond the arc are normally well beyond the arc, and getting to to listen to him talk uh, get a little bit more into his psyche was was really neat so i definitely recommend listening to that i know there are plenty of jj reddick haters out there that won't uh, waste their time to do so but i i enjoyed it he had stacy abrams on one and joel Embiid on the other i got to listen to that one this morning uh not not a whole lot new standing out there but yeah anyway so through the first five games of the bubble play the Sixers are three and two they have three games remaining until the playoffs begin and a couple of things to talk about so one of the big um, topics that we spoke about before they started playing was how Shake Milton looked in the bubble and we'll get to that um, but how how the bench would play and how other guys would step step up aside from Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons and now we need that more than ever. And one of the guys, especially over the last three games, that has been really stepping up off the bench has been Alec Burks, and um, averaging 17 points over the last three games, shooting 55 percent overall and 46.1 percent from three. He's in that pool now where. You know, it looked like he felt a lot more comfortable to play his game without the two superstars on the floor uh, than he did previously. And man, 
the Sixers are not going to have the cap room to sign Alec Burks unless they get rid of Josh Richardson and Al Horford uh, via trade. But he's going to be tough to say goodbye to, especially if he ends up performing this way over the final games and then into the playoffs. So uh, I know that uh, you were away for the weekend, but you got to see him play against Washington and Portland. So what what have you liked about Alec Burks uh, over this uh, past couple of games? You know, I think it's just he seems to be the most confident. Like, we'll get into Shake Milton in a minute, but I don't see that just, you know, a comfort level with him. Um, with Alec Burks, he comes in and it seems like he knows what his game is and he knows how to get his shots and he knows what he can and can't do. And he doesn't really try to play outside of that. I mean, he had some really impressive plays attacking the rim where he did like up and under moves and you know, got around a big body like Yusuf Nurkic to get buckets and things like that. Like, that's something this team really hasn't had, I don't think, ever in the Brett Brown period. We've had, like, a, a guard that can go and attack the rim in that fashion and be acrobatic at the point of attack. Um, I guess maybe, like, Ish Smith. Yeah, and even then, I wouldn't even say so much. I think Ish Smith is, like... He's still a similar guy to the guy that was in Philly, but I think he's better than he was when he was in Philly right now. Yeah. Um, but Alec Burks is, I mean, he can come in, he can get you buckets off the bench. That's exactly what he's been doing. Um, you know, well, again, we'll talk about Shake in a minute, but there's a real case that Alec Burks should be the guy starting games. And, you know, th- there's multiple arguments to be made there on either side, but. In terms of him, Neto, and Shake, he's by far been the most productive and the most reliable player of the three. Yeah, and him specifically, I'd say what him and Richardson were the two guys that really kept the Sixers in the game and and got them a lead, their first lead late or midway through the fourth quarter against the Blazers before they ultimately ended up losing by three. But you know, I'm not going to echo everything you said because you you said it correctly. He's he's a guy that knows what he's good at, and he does just that. He doesn't try to do too much. He might throw an errant pass here and there, but overall, this team over the last few years has been very much lacking scoring off the bench, especially from beyond the arc. And it's nice that Burks is now getting to play more minutes and show what he can do because. I think before the bubble began, you and I were thinking about how one of Burks or Robinson might be left out of the rotation, but going into the playoffs now, I don't think you can leave Burks out of the rotation. Even even Robinson, he only played eight minutes, but I feel like he offers enough to, to be able to be in that conversation as well, but... I've really liked what I saw from Alec Burks, and uh, you know he's done that over the last three games. But one guy who heated up in the last game, specifically, uh, is Josh Richardson. He scored a season high thirty-four points against Portland, uh, two below his career high of thirty-six points. And again, we'll we'll get to this a little bit later in a little more depth. But these guys like Richardson and Burks getting to show what they can do without Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid on the floor. Like the Josh Richardson we saw last night was the one that I thought we were going to get from Miami. So it was nice to see him confident. It seemed like he didn't really hesitate when it came to um, 
you know, shooting. So he he, be, he went from being the fourth, fifth option in the starting five to being the second option uh, in the starting five coming out of the half. So it was nice to see Richardson be aggressive. And, and certainly if, if Ben is indeed out for the entirety of the season and playoffs, we're going to need more nights like this than the nights that he scores like 11 or 12 points. Yeah, and I mean, it was really just like a totally different player. It looked a lot more reminiscent of the guy that when you would play Miami in recent years that you would have to go up against, where he was just extremely active with or without the ball in his hands, and he was honestly fearless on the offensive end. Um, You know, I think he obviously had a hot hand, and that contributed because we've seen Josh Richardson go ice cold before. But right now he's red hot, um, you know, 47.6% from three in those last three games. I mean, aided heavily by what he did against Portland. But for a guy who I think was shooting like mid to low 30s from three, that was huge to see. And obviously they're going to need more of that from him, especially with Ben and maybe Joel out. Um, Yeah, I mean, if you can get – especially if you can get Josh Richardson to find ways to contribute considering – He's probably here for the foreseeable future. He's the most tradable contract, but he's also a guy that makes a lot of sense to keep. So in that sense, it's like, you know, you need to find ways for him to contribute. And it sucks that it took the two biggest pillars falling down for Josh Richardson to find a way to really break out. At the same time, like if you can find more ways to get that guy in the offense and, you know, highlight those things he's able to do then maybe the Sixers can start cracking the code of what this lineup really is. Yeah, and I think when we talk about what kind of player that he was in Miami, and I know that Dwayne Wade was there a lot of the time while he was there, but he was more or less the guy that was relied on as the number one or two option. So you have to wonder, we've been talking so much about what his role is, but... uh, Maybe it's just a matter of him getting in a rhythm because when you have Ben and Joel out there with Tobias Harris, I mean, again, he's he's the fourth, he's the fourth option, he's the fourth option for scoring. Um, so he's he's just not the guy that's looked for really. And then when that changed, he had the op- opportunity to settle in and get more comfortable and get the hot hand. And I feel like when he's on the court with Ben or Joel, just because those are the superstar talents on the roster, that it's hard for him to really ever get in a comfortable rhythm or everything because he's not always shooting the three. You know, he's doing awkward fadeaways, you know, at the end of the shot clock if Joel passes out of a double team. Yeah, he's not necessarily a trailer like Covington was when it comes to being able to hit the three uh, on the fast break, or I haven't seen a lot of that. So it was nice to see him score as many points that he did, but I feel like for him it's all about getting in a rhythm. And when you have those other two guys on the court, for better or for worse, uh, it's harder for a guy like Josh Richardson to get in that rhythm for him to be able to put up these kinds of performances more consistently than he has before. Yeah, for sure. I agree with that. So we, we, we focus primarily on the backcourt here and we're going to continue doing so. Shake Milton named the starter starting point guard heading into bubble play. 
Uh, you know, the first game was about as bad as it could have been. Uh, him and Joel getting into a shatting match, uh, him looking shook for the majority of that game, and then comes back and hits a game-winning shot uh, the next game. So he, he's playing just under 25 minutes a game, averaging 9.4 points, four assists, shooting 50% from the field uh, on about six and a half shots per game, and he's shooting 33.3% from three-point range on about three attempts per game. So I know you weren't super high on, on Shake Milton going into the bubble just because, you know, he's unproven. So from what you've seen so far in him in that point guard role, uh, would you keep him there? Or is it to the point now where Alec Burks has showed that he needs to get in that position? I would start messing around with the rotation. I would let Shea continue to start games, but I would start having Burks go out with the starters in the second half. Um, Mainly so they can both get work because you don't know who's handling the ball at this point, especially with Ben out. And you got to figure it out. You got to figure out who's going to be the guy. I don't really, aside from, you know, hitting the one big shot, I don't really look at Shake Milton as core, his decision-making, his overall ability. I don't think he's an NBA starter, at least not right now. Um, I'm not trying to be harsh. I mean, I think he does have upside. I understand why people like him. I think he's a very, you know, good kid. Like, the, all the, all the, uh, little like I can't think of the right word the little like buttering up things you can say before delivering bad news to somebody but I just don't think he's it um you know I I said I think he has a piece in the rotation I think he can be a contributor but for what they're expecting him to do right now I just don't think he's capable of doing it yeah yeah I'd have to agree with you as well I think at this point with the expectations what they are with this team, as they've raised over the last couple of years, I feel like these guys need to be on a little bit of a shorter leash. And I'm not saying that I want Josh Richardson bringing the ball up or whatever, but I feel like Shake Milton is more or less just there as the point guard to bring the ball up. But uh, he's, he's not otherwise, the points that he's scoring at least haven't really come in places where it's mattered. Uh, not to say that his statistics of scoring just under 10 are are empty, but I feel like as the starting point guard, especially now with Ben out, he's going to have to be a lot more aggressive than he's been before, whether that's coming off the bench or starting. Because I feel like the shake that we saw against the Clippers, given that isn't the shake that we're going to see on a nightly basis, it should be that kind of aggression. Because he... He may not be as strong as the guy defending him, but his wingspan gives him enough leeway to be able to create for him himself every now and again. So I think that he just needs to continue to try to be aggressive, and then hopefully that'll help. Otherwise, uh, I, I don't know. I think maybe you can try uh, doing a couple of dribble handoff things like you did with J.J. Redick. I know Joel Embiid on on Reddick's podcast that I listened to this morning mentioned that shake is similar to JJ uh, in that, you know, he gets that space after a dribble handoff, but he doesn't have the same gravity as Reddick. So maybe they can work in that two man game a little bit more, but uh, yeah, I mean, right now as it stands, I would, I would just put Burks in the starting lineup. Like after, after the last three games, I don't know how you can't given if Joel is gone, you can probably put both of them in there. 
but uh, I, I just want this team playing from ahead. I feel better about them playing from ahead than coming back from behind. I know how they are in the fourth quarter, but I'd rather them get out to a lead behind a Burks than take my chance with Shake Milton. Because again, we're trying to win a championship. Developing players is great, but now's not the time to just see how it goes anymore. Yeah, I just think you're kind of forced to develop the players because of the of the uh, injuries right now. So yeah. you essentially have three games coming up that are, for all intents and purposes, meaningless. Um, based off, you figure Embiid probably won't play until the playoffs, even if he is good to go. Yeah. Right? They're not going to push him. You know, Simmons, we know he's not back unless they get to, like, the NBA Finals. So you have to figure out, or at least get these guys more comfortable before the games matter, right? If you're really serious about winning, I think. So I think you have to let Sheik get as many minutes as you can. You have to let Bergs get chemistry with the guys on the floor. And you probably have to give Howell Neto some minutes too, just to make sure you have guys ready to run the offense. Right. So with regard to Sheik Milton, I think it's it's pretty clear to the listeners that you and I are okay with him starting but would also be okay with Burks either starting in the second half or starting both halves just just because that might be the best route to go if you're looking for playoff success. And I agree with your having to develop players due to the injuries, but when you have uh, a Burks playing like he is, it's almost like uh, in hockey you have to go with the hot goalie. I feel like you have to go with the hot hand, um, and, and that's just really how it is in my mind. So... Um, My thing is you just you can't expect Burks to have to go play 48 minutes a night. Like someone has to come in and relieve him. And oh, yeah. Ball. And prior, like if the shake experiment didn't work out, you did have that foul safe of just going back to the old offense and letting Ben run the offense. Mm-hmm. But Ben's not there. So you don't have the plan B. You have one option, and it's a traditional point guard. And this team doesn't really have any traditional point guards on the roster. Yeah, I guess other than Neto. Yeah, who who I don't want to see. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm a kind of Neto guy, but I'm to the point where after seeing what Shake can do at his best and seeing what Burks has done, there's no reason that we should see uh, Neto come playoff time. But, um, you know, getting to playoff time, gets around the time why uh, where people in Philadelphia Sixers fans especially wonder why we can't have nice things you know last year Joel Embiid was sick and was having knee issues uh you know there was that year was it last year or the year prior to that where he got elbowed in the face by Markel by Markel's thoracic shoulder and had to wear the mask is that two years ago I believe so. I'm not entirely certain. Yeah, anyway, so it's been bad luck for the Sixers. We all know how they ended up losing in the playoffs last year, and it looks like it's going to be a little bit uh, more of a difficult road going into things this postseason as Ben Simmons uh, against the Washington Wizards left with a left patella subluxation and he will need to have surgery to remove a loose body in his knee as a result of that. So for those people who haven't looked it up yet, this left patella subluxation means that the kneecap was dislocated, but it returned to place on its own. Um, 
Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN reported that only a deep playoff run would keep hopes of Ben Simmons returning alive and that his return from the procedure that he's getting, which has not happened yet, is largely expected to come next season. Now, we've already talked about uh, the issues in the backcourt, and now you lose one of, if not your biggest you know, play creator. So how, how after this do the Sixers, like where do they go from here in trying to even somewhat replicate the skills that Ben Simmons offers? Uh, I mean, Al Horford, baby. That's frightening to say, but he's really the only option. Like we talked before about how Mike Scott makes sense you know, to give him some run, but I don't think I was saying that as we need Mike Scott to give you 20 minutes a night. Yeah. Now you're in a spot. He looked good against the Blazers though. That small lineup didn't look half bad. I mean, I think I texted you. I loved that small lineup. Yeah. That, that was honestly the best basketball the Sixers may have played all season. Would you believe me if I told you he was a team high plus five? Uh, probably not. But he was a team high plus five. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I thought his defense was, while tenacious, kind of irresponsible because he took some fouls that maybe didn't need to be taken. But, you know, I like Mike Scott again because he, he pulls the trigger quick. You know, he's always going to take the shot. He's never afraid. Um, he doesn't get his confidence knocked down even if he's cold, which is what you need in a shooter, which I think that's effectively what he is. Um, you know, I think he got bullied around in the post a little bit, whereas Al Horford, I mean, that was the best game Al Horford's had as a sixer. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I said that in our last pod, that one of the games that he had early on in the bubble was his best game in the bubble. But yeah, I think I think last game was also very, very good. So it's like, I mean, I'm figuring, you know, Horford is a traditional five now in that scenario. You still need Mike Scott as the four, at least down this stretch run until Embiid's back, if Embiid's back. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Al Horford, regardless, is going to be the guy. Um, I'm not sure if he moves into the starting lineup. Maybe you put Tobias Harris as the four, as the starter. You get a guy like, you know, maybe you go small in the backcourt with Richardson, Milton, and Burks, or maybe you let Thibel start or Korkmaz start. Um, there's a lot of ways they can go. It depends on what the team really wants to get offensively, I think. But have to de- think. Yeah, I was going to say it has to depend on matchups. Whoever they match up against should probably dictate that. Yeah, you're, I mean, you're also losing a ton defensively. So it's like, yeah. do you go Thibel at the three for his defense or do you go Korkmaz at the three for his spacing? And, you know, that's a really tough question. I mean, you know, as much as we both think Brett's time should be up, that's not an easy answer at all, regardless of who the coach is. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, just to piggyback on what you were saying about Horford, I mean, like maybe he wasn't actually healthy when he said he was earlier in the year because I feel like he looks like a very different player even when he was on the floor with Embiid. I mean, they look to coexist pretty well. I think the the Washington game was really the only one where he didn't really score a whole lot of points, but 
I mean, he's scored 36 points over the last two games and um, has looked pretty good from three. You know, he hit that three to get them closer to tie it in uh, against Portland on He also Sunday. hit one that would have made it like a seven-point lead and missed it, yeah. which I don't blame him, but that concerns me that Brett Brown, no matter who's in, is going to try to have a big man stretching the floor. Because yeah. even Kyle O'Quinn was taking threes. Yeah. So yeah, that it's like it's like, dude, like just don't do that. I don't. Th- yeah, I don't like, think I was ever as frustrated as I was when Kyle O'Quinn took. I'm gonna have to look at how many exactly he took, but I'm pretty sure that he took them like relatively early in the shot clock as well. Which is another thing. Yeah, Embiid over does as two. Well. So. I mean, that's clearly a play the Sixers run. That's not guys acting on their own. And it's a play that, like, when Horford struggled from – even if he was hitting them against Portland, like, even though he, he struggled, why would you do that? Or why would you have O'Quinn doing it? Like, it just shows an inability to adapt from Brett Brown, if you ask me. Yeah, I just think of the first couple of quarters when we saw O'Quinn, like, when things looked very clunky and they were down by 20 – he was just shooting it because nobody else was open. I don't think it was a play run specifically for him to shoot a three-pointer because the personnel is so different. I think it was just to the point where everything looked very clunky and that was just kind of the result of what it was. It was like Norvell Pell pretty much turning the ball over to Portland by just giving it to them. There were so many moments in that first half that were just like, this is the process Sixers. I felt like I was watching a process game. Yeah, and then when the most process-esque lineup was in, they went on a run and almost stole the game. Yeah, yeah, and why don't why don't we? Well, yeah, we we kind of talked about Ben and Joel. We don't really know what's Joel is is what the severity of his injury is at this point. But I would at least say that um, he's probably going to miss the next game at least and then if they're trying to be extra cautious i don't know why you'd even put them out there because at this point whether you face boston or miami it's going to be difficult yeah my my confidence level is very low right now but yeah i mean it was nice to see the process sixers of 2020 uh play well last night uh horford looked good richardson was involved burke scored even the game before that, uh, I think it was against Orlando, they had four guys scoring in the 20s. It's the first time that's happened in a while. But I think, at least looking at it, we obviously want to see these guys succeed when Ben and Joel are out there, whether they're out there together or, or one or the other. But I think last night was, it goes back to what you and I said about how Brett Brown is in some ways like chip kelly you know he has a system and he wants to run his system and that that system obviously doesn't work for a team that has al horford tobias harris joel and beat and ben simmons compared to a team that had dario covington jj ben and Embiid. you just it's not the same thing you can't try to Any, run the same plays anyone with a brain looks at that roster and says get the ball in the paint yeah so i mean Except it's for brett brown I think they look so good because we got to see that pace and space that the Sixers had played with for so many years with the Darios and the Cubs. And 
you know, the, the, the NBA is going so much more towards the three point shot, but the Sixers are so big in that perhaps the most effective way to score points is getting it to a Joel Embiid in the post. But I feel like last night, uh, it's, uh, it kind of showed what Brett is good at. It's, it's getting the most out of those role players when they're up against the wall and, uh, you know, playing with pace. That's how he's always, I feel like that's how he's always succeeded as a coach. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just clear that he's unwilling to change that, or he doesn't have the ability to change. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we could talk about Brett for hours upon hours, but I think, you know, him combined with the roster construction as, as a lot of people will agree, it's just, it's just not great going from a team with such high hopes to one who now we don't know whether their window is one year or three years or five years. Just don't know. We just don't know. But uh, with Ben out, obviously the front court is a big concern. So hopefully we see Brett kind of tinker around with that and see if that changes at all. But I mean, the, the whole thing is without Embiid and Simmons, you're looking at, at center Horford, O'Quinn, Pell. And at power forward, Harris Scott. And I mean, two of those guys got to start. O'Quinn's played less than 100 minutes all season, I feel like. Yeah. And same with Norvell Pell, who may have cracked 100 minutes just in garbage time runs. I mean, I, that's not good. There's no one behind them. Um, you know, you can go small like they did against Portland, but some teams are more equipped to handle small lineups than Portland is because Portland, I think kind of plays small anyway. So, you know, you, you get to go play a trying to think who else is out there. Well, Um, right now it's really just, I mean, Boston, Miami, like, can you match up against them with a small lineup? I'm not sure. I'm not sure you can. Well, if you don't have Embiid and you take Horford off the floor for a rest, what does Adebayo do? A lot, probably. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Or, you know, Boston, not so much with the big men. They are kind of smaller in general. They have Cantor and then no one really after him. Well, um, he's ca- he comes off the bench. Does he, he? Yeah, Cantor comes off the bench. They start Daniel Tice, and uh, Robert Williams also plays more minutes than him right now. I mean, I like Robert Williams coming out of college, but I haven't seen enough from him in the NBA to really be concerned about him. Regardless, it's still... A coach like Brad Stevens will know how to expose size difference and things like that. Yeah. So, you know, they're going to run into the problem of Brett falling into the habit of the lineup that can hit threes, but then he's going to have no one to play defense. You know, and it's just, it, I think the Sixers may be in for some bloodbaths. Yeah, and it's exactly what you said there, relying on shooting the threes uh, with a team like the Sixers that doesn't have like a J.J. Redick or, or guys that can consistently hit them down unless Cork Maz gets a hot hand. Like, it's tough to even rely on that. So you have to go back to what you wanted to be at the beginning of the year and be a defensive powerhouse, especially if Embiid comes back healthy for the playoffs, which is what we're banking on. Yeah. Um, so looking ahead to the upcoming schedule, the Sixers have their one and only back to back coming up. They host the undefeated Suns on Tuesday. The Suns, I believe now five and O in the bubble. 
then they play Toronto on Wednesday before closing out their seeding games on Friday against the Rockets. And then it's playoff time. So looking ahead at these three games, at this point, looking at the standings, you know, you have e- either between Boston or Miami, it's it's certainly looking a lot more towards Boston right now. So do you think you go the smart route and just sit the big guys ahead of these playoff games in order to preserve health or do you try to get them as much run as possible play them in the first half or whatever yeah um i mean i'm just i'm beaten down (laughs) you know i'm like ready for six year season to be done we came back you know there was excitement we thought, oh, man, they can make a run. This is the best chance for them to actually have a chance this year. It's all been ripped away. It's all been ripped away. Indiana, first game, first game, fucking rip our hearts out. Didn't even didn't even give us, like, false hope. It was the first game. It was like, oh, nothing's changed here. I forgot how much this hurt. Yeah. And then it just snowballs from there. Ben Simmons' kneecap pops off. Joel Embiid steps on something and hurts his ankle. God damn it. <laughs> so are you resting those guys? You never answered my question. <laughs> no, because, again, with so much uncertainty in the lineup, you have to get as much chemistry and as much figured out in these next three games as possible. Like, because... Say Embiid's not good. Say the injury's worse than we think it is. You know, like, you have to know what you're doing because you can't figure it out in the middle of a playoff series. Right. So, like, as much sense as it makes, and it does make sense to let those guys rest because of what's already happening to the Sixers, you have to let them on the floor with the guys that you're still figuring out are even going to be in the playoff rotation. Because there's still, like, three guys that may or may not be in the playoff rotation right now. Right. So you have to get them on the floor with the three guys you know are going to be out there. Because if you don't do that, then you have no idea if they can fit into what you want to do on the floor. And, I mean, you know, like I said, it makes sense to let those guys rest and make sure they get to the playoffs healthy. But, I mean, what good does a a Shake Milton, Alec Burks, Matisse Thibel, Mike Scott, Kyle O'Quinn starting lineup do for you? (laughs) Seriously, like it'll let Brett run his system. Yeah, like that gives you nothing. You have to get those guys on the floor with the other three, just so you can see how they fit in and who fits in best. Yeah, I mean, I want them to beat Phoenix, break that bubble undefeated streak. I think there's no chance that happens. Yeah, I I will say though, if if you're letting TJ Warren go for fifty four. Dame Lillard scoring at will in crunch time. I'm sorry, Devin Booker's better than both of them right now, I would say. Yeah, and how's that look right now? What, we got Portland, San Antonio, and Phoenix all within one game of each other in the 9, 10, 11 spots. So I think the Spurs are going to have to win today against, uh, I thought they were playing today. 
But I, I mean, they're going to have to win their next game to have any chance. But I mean, I mean, I'm hoping that Phoenix is that team. I think uh, not just because I you're mean, also a hashtag Suns guy, but I think because of my undying admiration and love for Dario, I have to I have to pull for them. I mean, I've Suns have been my second team. We've discussed that previously. You know, I tend to watch them as often as I can. I follow the team. They're playing great basketball right now. I mean, they have the head coach the Sixers should have. Yeah. Uh, you know, DeAndre Aton gets to come back, and it's basically an offseason development for him coming into the bubble. He's a very, very refreshed player right now. Devin Booker is at his best he's been in his career, and he's been really fucking good in his career so far. Um. You know, I, I did want us to beat Portland, not just for us to win, but if the Sixers beat Portland, then I got to see my sons get one step closer to the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I, I really just, especially with the injuries, I think there's no chance Embiid's playing. Um, I can't see the Sixers beating Phoenix. I think Phoenix is going to come in possessed, and they're going to run right through us. Hmm. Well, I hope that doesn't happen, for my sanity's sake, but... Uh... I think that'll wrap up this episode of Garbage Into Gold. Everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll probably be back before the playoffs. I'm not sure if it's going to be after this back-to-back or after their game on Friday. Uh, We'll play it by ear, but we will have one before the playoffs begin. And uh, before we go, don't forget to take advantage of 20% off and free shipping with the code PHL at manscaped.com. Support for Garbage Into Gold is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Again, 20% off and free shipping with the code PHL at manscaped.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on another episode of Garbage Into Gold.